Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi, everyone. This is Rohit from Life Self Mastery. And today I'm excited about Eric Lando, who's a CTO of Corp, uh, which is into applied physics. Uh, Eric has done his bachelor's in physics from Stanford University and MS in electrical engineering. Cord is building software that allows data scientists and researchers to, algorithmically, uh, 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 to, to solve the problem of creating and managing training data for, manage, for machine learning applications, starting computer vision, replacing thousands of hours of manual living. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, uh, you know, uh, you, uh, you started uh, in uh, Howard and Stanford, and you have a good number of uh, experience. What got you interested to, you know, get into uh, startups and what made you start Quad? Um, yeah, I think it's a, a good question. So I started, originally I was, inter- you know, my academic background was in physics. So I wanted to be a physicist. I started my PhD um, and, you know, I had done all of my time in research. So I was always like working in research labs over the summer. And I decided it would be a good idea to try the real world um, for at least like, you know, a year. So I took a leave of absence from the, the PhD and it ended up becoming just a very long leave of absence because um, I, I just never came back. Um, so I worked in, in quantitative trading um, for, you know, for a long time. And after a while, I just got a little bit bored because I was solving like the same class of problems over and over again. And I was interested in doing something where I got to... Um, solve a different set of problems and the sets of problems that are you're encountering are dynamic. And I think entrepreneurship is really the best uh, space for that because uh, your job is essentially changing every year. And so that's what really um, attracted me to, to start a company. And, and you know, uh, uh, when you were young, you, you really liked physics or is it uh, something in your, in your family or in your background that you, you, know, you enjoyed something in your family member? Was into physics, that got you that? Uh, yeah, I, I always really liked math and physics uh, when I was a kid, um, and you know I was definitely encouraged by my parents. Um, my so um, there's a famous physicist Lev Landau, who's a Russian physicist, and uh, my grandfather would joke that he was from the rich side of the family because um, um, we grew up in uh, he grew up in Brazil, but um, emigrated from Russia like a long time ago. So. I knew that was somewhere in my family tree and I just liked math and physics. And um, so I felt like that was like a natural uh, direction for me. Interesting. And, you know, you, you mentioned you, you, uh, uh, you know, you, you're born in Brussels uh, and then you, uh, you live in US and now you're in UK. Uh, was it a natural progression or was something you planned that you would want to live in, in a different country and have different experiences, perspectives? Uh, no, it was, it was all, uh, just essentially saying yes to things, you know, it's like, Oh, do you want to go here? Yeah, I'll go, you know? Um, and at the time UK was a good portal to, uh, to the rest of Europe, uh, no longer. Um, but, uh, it, so it was nice to, to travel and I ended up just staying for, for quite some time. And, uh, uh you know, you, you worked in, uh, in trading, uh, with, with the idea uh, DRW, uh, what was the experience there and you know, does trading really help, uh, you know, build a uh, quad uh, or build, you know, uh, something which really helped you start your startup? 
yeah, I think it it helped in the sense of um, it, you know going through a lot of data and processing a lot of data, building a, t- a ton of models. So we built thousands of models, and we're constantly pushing them out into the real world. And you get a lot of uh, high frequency feedback about one thing that you do or one thing that you try. You find out very quickly whether it works or not. Um, and that is um, that that iteration cycle and that loop. Uh, is very is very uh, useful in trading, and it's very useful like when you're starting a company because um, you don't always know whether what you're doing is is the best strategy or not. So it's how to close that loop and make your decisions as empirical as possible and get some kind of signal back such that you can guide yourself and the company in the right direction. So I think from that kind of high level standpoint, it helps, and from the perspective of like particular model building, it, it also uh, helped helped a bit. And, and, and you know, uh, since you, since you worked in the company for for I think close to eight years, uh, you know, uh, is is card something very very uh, you know different from from other products in the in the market? Uh, you know, how did uh, how did that happen? Uh, which led you to start card? Yeah, so it was actually uh, the idea of my co-founder Ulrich. So it came out of his uh, master's project at, at Imperial College London, and um, you know, at the time uh, and still now, the the main way that companies build AI models is uh, with you know supervised um, supervised learning. So you need a lot of labeled training data, and to get that labeled training data, like the predominant method is you send the data overseas. And it's labeled by you know factories filled with people. You know they're drawing boxes and polygons um, over images and, and videos. And uh, what uh, Ulrich did in his masters, and um, uh, you know what we were thinking about when we were originally starting the company was trying to figure out ways that we can automate that uh, in in uh, you know as as most efficient way as possible. Um, so that's really where we started and kind of what we built. Uh, since you know, since starting Cord uh, from a from a technological perspective, right? And uh, you know, what, what are the sort of brands and companies that you work for, and uh, you know, your competitors in this in this space? Uh, yeah, it's a it's um, a mix of a lot of different kinds of AI um, companies. About half of them are in the medical space. Um, so we're doing a lot of work with um, people that are building uh, GI applications, for instance. Um, but it's it's a pretty big mix in ter- uh, vertical wise. Other than that, and the the profile of the company tends to be um, like mid tier um, startup kind of kind of thing. Those are the main companies that are building uh, AI in like a very um, uh, kind of cutting edge way, at least. Got it. And uh, you, you know, when you talk about AI, you know, uh, what do all these definitions within AI uh, mean? Uh, you know, a lot of lot of people say that you know uh, would say that they are a fintech company, or they talk about that you know they're a AI company. But what would you categorize as? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's a good question, and it's um, people get pretty pretentious of, over like what AI is. But to me, AI is just automation. So you know, you have a task or you have a problem. Uh, how do you take it from? A problem that's navigated from like a human cognitive perspective to translating translating to something that a machine can do, and it just turns out to be that a lot of the problems that um, we care about, uh, you can't solve them from normal deterministic programming. Like here's a program that does A, B, C, and D. 
you have to solve it with this more kind of statistical methodology. And that statistical methodology is essentially what we call AI or machine learning uh, today. But it's not like it's uh, building a consciousness per se, it's just solving a bunch of different problems in an automated way. And, and uh, you know, is machine learning and you know, deep learning different from, from AI? Uh, yeah, people make distinctions. Um, uh, machine learning is maybe like the broader category, but I don't like get too much in concerned with like what the, the distinctions are. I think it comes down to, here's a problem. How do you solve it? You know, you solve it with A, B, C, and D. You can call it whatever you want, but it's going to be A, B, C, and D um, uh, from a, like a technical perspective. Right. And, uh, you know, you also mentioned that uh, you, you target a mid-tier startups, but, uh, but is, there, is a customer segment uh, data scientists and researchers uh, because, you know, you, you're solving a problem for them? And, and how, how do you find those data scientists? Yeah, there's, there's three uh, key stakeholders in the companies that we, we sell to. One is the ML engineers and data scientists. So those are the end consumers of the, of the label training data. Those are the ones that are building the model. Um, and they don't necessarily care how the sausage is made. They just want to have a lot of high quality data. Um, then the other, uh, another key stakeholder is the ops managers. So those are usually the ones that are controlling uh, the actual process of how do you you know, create and manage this label training data. And the final one is the annotators themselves. So those are the people that are doing the annotations or doing the reviews and doing the quality assurance over the labels. And so you have to kind of fit all three stakeholders when, when you're selling the product uh, to a company. Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing instructions and making your days calmer and more productive, you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. And, and you know, when you started uh, uh, the company, how did you reach out to uh, this audience and how did you, uh, what's your acquisition channel uh, in order to you know, get these people on board? Uh, yeah, it's a good question because like um, it's it's a, it's really a grab bag. And um, when you're like is starting a company in the very beginning, it's just kind of like flailing in water and you're just trying to do anything that you can to, to grab customers. So we got some from word of mouth, some from like content pieces that we wrote, um, some from public launches, some from, um, you know, cold outreach, uh, some from our networks and we are just experimenting like, you know, very heavily on different channels and seeing what would, what would yield customers and what would. And so the, the final result that we got tends to be like quite a distributed um, set of, of strategies. And, and uh, you know, uh, you wrote a, a great post on Medium, which is called What I Learned from My First Month at Y Combinator. You know, we put that in the, in the show notes. And uh, you said something very interesting about sales that, you know, sales is, uh, is a search problem and not, not a persuasion problem. Uh, and, uh, you know, you also talked about reaching out to, out to people, uh, I mean, hundreds of hundreds of calls or meetings uh, in a week and not doing just a couple of calls. But, 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 uh, but what do you mean that, you know, sales is a search problem uh, and not a persuasion problem for, for those for listeners? Um, because, yeah, it, it's really just trying to find... Um, uh, needles in the haystack. And the needles here are people that have the problem that you're solving. 
So if you have a product that actually solves the problem, the sales isn't really persuading them to do it. It's just showing them that, hey, this does it and this does it in, in a very effective way. But to get to find those needles, there's just such a high cost. And so I always thought of sales as like a used car salesman where you're going and you're like, you're using rhetoric or whatever techniques um, to try to like get someone to buy something that they ended up not wanting to buy. But really it's the other way. It's people want to buy this. And the secret is just finding the people that want to buy it. And to do that, there's not a, a lot of great, um, you know, great strategies except for just casting a very wide net. Um, so it, especially if you're an early stage startup, you just have to um, reach out to a bunch of people. And then um, of, that, of that funnel, some will have the, one, the problem that you're solving. And of those, some will want to talk to you, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why like, you know, a lot of sales organizations, it's really just about volume and throughput of cold calls that they do and emails that they do because they're just, they're just casting this net to search for as many people that can have that, that problem as, as possible. Um, and that was a revelation to me uh, during YC is like, oh, I don't have to like convince people. I just have to find them. And then if you, if you think of it that way, um, then it actually, you know, unlocks a lot in, in the sales process, makes it a lot easier. Right. And uh, uh, I agree, you, you're part of the uh, YC uh, 2021 batch. Uh, what, was, what was your experience? And uh, do you think, you know, Y Combinator has, has re can really disrupt the, the education, uh, uh, the higher education market? Uh, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the experience uh, at YC. So it was a re remote batch. Um, so we, you know, we didn't get to meet anyone in person. Um, but it's still, they still, I think, logistically were able to handle everything uh, quite admirably and uh, do, you know, all the connections, all the Zoom calls. Um, it was, it was pretty seamless. Um, and YC, the main value that I got was uh, the focus at, on, on growth and the accountability that comes with that. So before, you know, Ulrich and I are engineers, our natural tendency is just to build product and to try to solve these things uh, technically. But in Y Combinator, you know, um, their mantra is just to grow as much as you can and to choose a metric that reflects that growth. So once we had that in our mind is, okay, we can't just sit back and, and build the product. We actually have to show some growth and we have to show it to some outside party uh, that, you know, that will be disappointed if we don't grow as much you know, or not. Um, so that forced us to solve a bunch of different problems that we hadn't thought about before and to actually go ahead and, and do the hard work to grow the company, which, um, you know, was probably not our natural instinct. Otherwise, our natural instinct was just to go and like solve this more interesting technical problem. Uh, so I think that accountability and that focus uh, is the main uh, main value of YC besides the network, obviously, which is also super valuable. And it's very interesting that you pointed out part of metric. Uh, it reminded me about how Facebook had a had one single North Star metric every year. Uh, and so, so do you think uh, you know when when you're starting a uh, you want to go run in hundreds of directions? This is for early stage entrepreneurs or listeners out here. Uh, what what uh, what advice would you give to founders? Should they focus on just one or two North Star metrics? And what metrics do you think are important? Yeah, I think um, narrow down the, the metrics for sure and uh, be honest with yourself about hitting these metrics because you might be able to fake a metric to an outside observer, but you can't really fake it to yourself. 
And if if you're really trying for something, you'll find out you'll you'll get this this feedback in this this iteration cycle of whether you're doing the right thing or not. Um, so this is another lesson from trading because at the end of every trading day, you get a number, and that that number is how much you made or you lost at, on that day. And so um, by constantly getting this this feedback of a number, you're able to steer yourself and to steer your strategies to to better align uh, with with optimizing that. Um, so yeah, I definitely focus and um, and just you know uh, uh, be be true to <laughs> be true to yourself with regards to, to these metrics. And uh, you know, uh, when it comes to Quark, you know, the, you, you've got a couple of products, which is uh, the web app, the automation API, and uh, you know, what is the cost of the product? And uh, you know, uh, uh, is it is it a is it a yearly contract that you you sign up with with the company? Yeah, they uh, they're yearly contracts, and the cost is uh, it's kind of. Um, bespoke at this point because we we talk to our customers, we see how much data they need, what their particular requirements are, do they need model integrations? And so we'll, we'll come up with a quote that kind of fits their, their particular use case. We have different tiers, uh, which kind of set like the, uh, the, the, the prior for the price. And the, you know, the, the tier is also like a function of, you know, um, the, the, the size of the client, the number of users and all these things. Um, but we we prefer to get uh, yearly um, yearly contracts and another another key from YC is don't do free trials um, so don't do free pilots uh, anytime that you're selling to customer you be, should be selling it for for real money um, and that's that's a, a lesson we learned uh, even before YC but was definitely uh, uh, reiterated many times throughout the process. Hey, interesting and. Uh... Uh, when uh, when it comes to uh, you know decision making, um, how how do you approach decision making when you have already you know raised a bit of amount of, amount of funding and you scale your team? Uh, uh, unlike you know you had a structure where there are only two of you uh, in the team, how, how do you approach uh, decision making now? Uh, yeah, it's it's tough. I think um, it's nice to have another co-founder that you can always. Um, you can always uh, um, bounce bounce things off and bounce the the final decisions on. Uh, our our intuition is when you have data, use the data. So if you have something to at least anchor what the prior is for the the decision, start there, and then you can work off of that in either direction, depending on like what your subjective kind of feeling or um, what the the other like qualifications to the the, the problem are. Um, but other than that, it's it's really there's no secret to decision making. I think one of the things about starting a startup is it's really like a, a like just a constant slew like onslaught of decisions uh, that you have that you have to make. And so it's something that you just practice. Uh, it's like any skills. Like okay, do I do this or this? I'll just do this. I'll be okay with it. Sometimes you get it wrong. You learn and you just just move on. So um, just being able to um, also review the old decisions that. You know, you did get wrong, and learn, and make sure that you're incorporating the lessons. If you're doing that kind of practice, eventually you'll just get better at it, um, and you know, and the process will become easier. And, and uh, uh, how, how do you look at uh, reversible and irreversible decisions when it comes to you know, especially when it comes to scaling uh, company? Uh, how do you how do you determine that? Uh, yeah, we, I mean. 
so you, you try not to get into irreversible decisions without like trying something, getting some, some amount of feedback. And it can be even like a small amount of feedback, just, uh, just a taste to, to guide what the intuition for, um, for the right path is because there's such uncertainty bounds over um, every decision that you make that uh, it's better if you can like do some kind of prototyping or some kind of experiment to at least like give you some idea of, of the way of the way to go. But other than that, um, yeah, again, it's just it's just being confident in yourself as a decision maker. You start a company, you've done this, you've done a bunch of decisions. Hopefully you're getting good at it and you can just trust your instinct. Um, and at the end of the day, like, you know, your instinct is is kind of what's going to guide the company and either it'll it'll work or, or, or not. Um, but that's that's kind of the bet that you're making in your own instinct in that you're starting a company in the first place. Today, I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash socialpilot to get a 14-day free trial. Interesting. And, uh, you know, what, what's your learning process when you look at uh, learning, you know, uh, new topics and material, especially when it comes to, you know, complex uh, problem that you're trying to solve? Uh, yeah, so I, I love learning. And um, I, I think it's just really, um, it's just something that if you enjoy it, then you're going to, you're going to want to do it. Um, so we're all, you know, we're always trying to read new papers and the latest things that are coming out in the machine learning world. Uh, there's, it's a very fast moving field. So uh, by being in it, you just are forcing yourself to learn, um, uh, learn constantly. Um, but again, learning like kind of like decision-making is just a skill that, that you kind of develop over your lifetime. And if you do it enough times, like you start to, the, the patterns in which you realize what works for me to learn, uh, you, you go down that path. So sometimes like it's how to configure the, the space in a mental way that I know that I'll understand it better. Um, something is like a, a you know geometric problem, something that might not be necessarily geometric. I think of it geometrically to try to understand it better, so that like it it fits it fits um, closer in my mind. And that's a skill that just came from like trying to learn as much as possible, uh, you know, over time. Got it. And uh, you, you know, since since you were two founders, uh, uh, what does it to create an environment of safety where you know both the founders can you know express their ideas, thoughts, and concerns. Uh, I believe that you know you know the the new the you know your co-founder uh, from from a long time. But uh, how do you how do you build that uh, environment of safety even when you know you you can build your company? Uh, it's it's really starting from the very beginning to um, st- like opening a culture of transparency between you, like in the very very beginning. So that that was a talk that we had. Like in the very beginnings, like we want to be able to express ourselves freely and uh, just to be honest, um, because if you're if you're not and you're constantly holding something back, that will build over time and that will cause problems later. So it's better just to air things out as they come. And um, that just came from establishing what the ground rules were from the start of the company. Um, so, yeah, if, if you do that from from the outset, uh, it will pay dividends later. Um, with your um, uh, relationship with your co-founder. Got it. And, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, culture of, of, of a company, what, what sort of failures 
uh, would you you know uh, would the company accept? Um, I know it's a it's a it can be a difficult topic at times, but uh, are there any sort of failures which you know you could you know, expect your product guys to to make? Uh, definitely ethical. Um, so, you know, if, if there's any kind of integrity issues or, or ethical issues, I think that's a, um, that's a, a, a deal breaker. It's a non-starter. Um, other than that, like most things can be corrected. Um, and um, culture, I think it was Dalton Caldwell from YC said like culture is just how you behave. You know, it's just like how you are personally. And it's the sum of the, the personalities of the company. Um, so if you if you just try to behave in an upright way um, and in a way that you know you know the right way to behave and you know the wrong way to behave. So if you just do try to do it the right thing, the culture will will hopefully follow in that direction. Um, but yeah, if there's a if there's a failing in terms of you know lying or or cheating in some way, uh, that that's definitely um, a major major red flag. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think. Uh, ethical issues should should be should not be entertained in any company. And uh, you know, I understand that you're in London, but I I believe you you're a fully remote company. Uh, how how do you look at uh, ensuring morale uh, in within your team uh, when you know you're not able to meet them face to face? And uh, how do you connect with your team? Uh, yeah, it's through you know video calls and um, Slack, uh, WhatsApp. But it is it is difficult and it's a challenge that you know we're going to have to navigate. Um, but if you you know if you trust your team members and you trust the people that you hire, then um, it becomes less of a problem because you, you just you you did the due diligence on them when you kind of brought them on, so you can yeah. trust them enough autonomy to be able to do the right things. Obviously, when the company grows and it's very big, you, then you need more structured processes in place. Um, to to manage the different moving parts to make sure everyone is kind of moving in the same direction and they're not canceling each other out. But at an early stage company, um, when you have you know employees that you trust, um, it becomes less less of an issue. And, and do you believe uh, you know most of the early stage companies, or even you know uh, uh, any company of for that matter, will they be fully remote, or do you think there's going to be a structure of hybrid? Work from home as well as you know going to the office and uh, what are you what is your company thinking when it comes to uh, you know working? Uh, I think you know there definitely will be fully remote uh, companies in the future and there's going to be like a natural self selection where the people that operate the best in a fully remote environment they're going to go start fully remote companies or work at fully remote companies uh, and the people that like to be in the office they're going to go work for companies in the office. So there's just going to be this natural separation over time where people drift towards the environments that work the best for them. What we realize is that people, some people do work better in an office. And, you know, so we wanted to give like some optionality, like, you know, get an office in London, um, you know, people can go there if they want, uh, but also they can work from home also if they want. So try to optimize on their, their own, uh, feelings for themselves as to like what the best uh, the best modality is. All right, and um, Eric, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Um, so a, a book I really like is uh, "The Man Who Solved the Market" by um, about James Simons, uh, who started Renaissance. And I think the the key there it's it's more a biography about him. It's less of a business book, but the key insight there is that. 
the quality of the of the, of the the hedge fund of Renaissance, and it's the best hedge fund of all time, you know, by the returns or or in the top, the very top, is not in any specific secret that they have or any secret sauce, but in the quality of people that they attract. Um, so your long-term competitive advantage as a company is really the quality of the people that you track. It's the time. It's, it is the people. That is what the company is. And so I think that insight from that book was was very valuable and is um, a strong um, a strong guide for for us as as we're hiring. Interesting. And you know, if you could go back in time when you started Card, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Uh, it, so it would have been on trying to sell earlier rather than trying to build product. Um, and that was the lesson that we learned in YC is, um, you know, it is a business. So you are trying to sell things to, 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 to people. Um, so avoid your natural instinct to just go and build something forever and get it out into the world and get feedback on it. That's the best way that you're going to build the product in the end anyway, uh, is to get the, the market's feedback on it. Interesting. And uh, do you have any favorite online tools, example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Uh, well, I think Slack is uh, Slack is the main one and Zoom. Um, those are just like, it's kind of boring, but those are the, the main tools that we use. And um, it's just super useful. So uh, yeah, uh, that's I think that's it. And, uh, you know, I understand that you are uh, looking at hiring, you know, ML uh, engineers and, uh, you know, other resource scientists. Uh, what, what is the best way, you know, people can... Uh, reach out to you and know more about Cord. Uh, yeah, you can email us at hello at cord.tech um, and, you know, send a, a CV um, and, uh, you know, uh, like what, what you're looking to do. And um, we're, we're definitely looking for people now. We're growing in ML engineering and in full stack uh, and DevOps roles. So I'm really beefing up the engineering team. Uh, so we're just looking for, for great people. Awesome. Um, Eric, thank you so much for taking your time speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thanks a lot, Rohit. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.